0: You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. But yeah, let me let me just read the passage that we usually read before um, uh, at the beginning of the sermon in this series, and, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me again, you know that I do that, and I love doing that up and down, up and down. But no, it's God's word, and I want us to, even physically, um, that our posture would, would, you know, would speak of glory to God and respect to God. So Galatians chapter 5, only two verses, but I'm going to take us through a lot of scripture. But this is just kind of the, um, our, our, you know, our starting point, if you may. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is where Apostle Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I apologize for my voice. I was kind of sick this week. I'm not contagious I don't think, uh, but there's still a lingering cough and in, in well, the voice anyways. But bear with me today, please. So Galatians 5:22 and 23. So what the word of God says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such these such things there is no law. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I ask and I pray that you would help us to open our hearts to your word this morning, and I thank you in advance, Lord God, that you are good, and you're going to do some great things with this word and through this word, Would you bear much fruit as we, Lord God, continue our series, the fruit of the spirit, Lord God. We want to yield our lives and our hearts to you. We want to open ourselves up to the working of the holy spirit in our hearts that you would may grow us more and more even in faithfulness as we're going to look at today lord god for the glory of your name and for the benefit of everyone else around us in jesus name i pray amen you may be seated so just as a uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going today um there are five main points that I want to kind of take us through Uh, and the first one is that you cannot be faithful when you're self-absorbed and then we're gonna talk about uh, just look at an overview of God's faithfulness and then we want to get a little bit specific about the faithfulness of God and then we're gonna talk about so so we're gonna talk about God's faithfulness in our sanctification in our suffering and then in the gospel, and then we'll finish with some, I like to say, some practical application points. I mean, there's no, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a miss if we, you know, if we preach the word of God and if we don't make it applicable, if we don't just bring it into our, our here and now and apply it to our lives. So may God work through this word. So faithfulness, if any term catches the essence of mankind's essence or, or the essence of mankind's character, I should say, in the age that we live in today, in the society that we live in today, it's faithlessness, isn't it? The opposite of faithfulness, the opposite of being faithful. Not sure how to say this in a simpler way, but man is generally faithless to any standard that can be considered as truly godly today. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm not going to go out of my way to, to do that. I'm just, I'm just looking around at the society that we live in. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Apostle Paul describes the spirit of people at the end of the age, which uh, I believe it's this age that we live in. And it's one of the passages that Flo read out loud last Sunday as well. And I'm going to read it again. So 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. So listen to what God's word says about, about our society today, about us today. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Sure. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, Paul lists here 19 things. He lists 19 things here, starting with lovers of themselves and ending the list with lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Kind of like the book ends uh, containing the other horrible acts within these two book ends. And this is very important. Now, let me ask you this How can a person be faithful to God when he loves himself more than he loves God? Is that possible? No. How can a person be faithful to God when his own desires, gratification, and satisfaction means more to him than pleasing God? Is that possible? No, I don't think so. How can a person be faithful if he is a reckless, arrogant, slanderer who is disobedient to parents, greedy, unloving, and without self-control? Is that possible? No, it's not. The Bible is so clear, church, in terms of what it really means to give your life to Jesus, Jesus. It, 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 and, and, and to love him and to have a life that honors him. You can't miss that from the first few pages of the Bible. In Luke 14, verse 2, Jesus states unequivocally and clearly, and, and, and the Bible says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And by the way, and I don't want to camp on this, the, the, the word hate doesn't mean hate. It means to love less. I'm not going to get too, you know, into too much when it comes. I just wanted to make that distinction. See, the reality is that faithfulness hinges upon what we value as important and then combine that with a lot of commitment. As humans, we have a powerful tendency. There's an inclination within us to be faithful to what we think is truly important, isn't there? and in some cases it's a family name it's it's a spouse a, a friendship an employer a, a team or even things like cars and houses and wealth and health and it's and, and we love them and and we deem them important so 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 if if that's the case if we think that they are important and valuable then we're going to be faithful to them makes sense right also this tendency this inclination was an issue when the disciples decided to follow Peter's lead after Jesus' death and resurrection. We see this in John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 and 17. Jesus intentionally and openly asks Peter three times whether he loved them. And the first time he asks whether he loved them more than these. Remember that? Remember that passage? And Jesus was referring either to his fellow apostles or the tools of his fishing trade, because that's what they were going back to. Nevertheless, either or, the point is very clear that Jesus wanted Peter to hold him of greater importance than anything on earth. That's the point. And Peter could not have been faithful to Jesus without the staunchest and the the firmest commitment to him as most important of all in his life. The meaning to us should be very clear also when we talk about faithfulness in God. We must love Christ more than anything else on earth. We must love him supremely or we do not love him much, if at all. And the Bible is very clear about that. And if we're not willing to give up even our earthly possessions, if it comes to that, or give up our earthly friends, To obey him above all others, including our own carnal desires. In order to be faithful to him, our attachment to him, our relationship to him, it's shaky at best. Now let me ask, is this proposition too much? Is the Bible suggesting too much or is this too much for us? The interesting thing is that we ask the same level of commitment and faithfulness from our spouses in marriage, don't we? We require a high level of faithfulness from our wives and our husbands, and we should, we should. And it makes perfect sense because without it, it is no wonder why there's so much adultery and divorce in our day and age today, right? It makes sense. So the question is, will we be faithful to God? Will you be faithful to God? Will we be faithful in a world that has completely abandoned this virtue of faithfulness? I'm assuming that you've already done a quick inventory in your heart and your mind and, and, and you realize, oh boy, I'm 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 pretty low on faithfulness. I'm I'm failing here. I'm I'm in deficit here. Is that you? Because that's that was exactly me for the last two weeks, getting ready for this sermon. So the question then is: Will you allow then the Holy Spirit to grow faithfulness in you? Will you surrender yourself to the Spirit's work in your life and humble yourself so that you can see the need of faithfulness in your life, right? And ask our Father: Do do what you need to do in my life, Father, and grow in me faithfulness so that I can look more and more like You, so that I can honor and glorify Your name. That's the that's the, the ultimate purpose, right, that, that we have in our existence. And by the way, that's exactly why we should pursue this, to glorify him and to honor him and that he was faithful. And because he was faithful to us first, that's why we, we pursue faithfulness. Not because we, you know, not because we want to just be better, you know, just kind of, you know, be more loving, be more. No, that's, that's, that's so secondary, And you know why we should pursue this fruit of the Spirit as as a secondary reason? Because no one, trust me, no one likes an unfaithful wife and husband, right? No one likes an unfaithful pastor or mother or father or friend, no one. So when we're faithful, others are blessed as well. But this is a secondary reason why we should pursue this, this, to grow in this fruit of the Spirit faithfulness. Let's understand this word faithfulness a little bit better. Interesting to know that faithfulness does not even appear, believe it or not, in the New Testament in the King James Version. However, the idea certainly appears, and it comes up over and over again in the Greek, in the original. In the listing of the fruit of the Spirit, the one that I just read from Galatians 5, every modern translation of the Bible renders the word that KJV translates into faith as faithfulness, fidelity, or good faith. We're getting to know this a little bit better. In his commentary on Galatians, William Barclay, and it doesn't matter who, who, who's writing this, but and you don't need to remember all these names, he writes this, and I quote, This word is common in secular Greek for trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. He says it is the characteristic of the man who is reliable, a man who is trustworthy and sincere. We're understanding the word a little bit better, or at least the way the Bible um, uh, uses it. If we go in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word rendered faithfulness means firmness, security, and fidelity. Again, that comes back up again and again. At the same time, the way we use it today as a society outside of the Bible and Webster's New World Dictionary helped with that. It defines faithful as maintaining a strong allegiance, constant, loyal, marked by or showing a strong sense of duty or responsibility, accurate, reliable, exact. Question for you Does that sound like our society today? (laughs) Does that sound like you? your life Hmm. i am not trying to make you feel miserable (laughs) i'm not because i know that all of us fall short of the standard of faithfulness which is christ so in one sense i'm I'm trying to remind us that it is impossible to live life at the level of faithfulness that the law requires of us which is perfection that's an impossibility so be at ease (laughs) Friend, you're not the only one who's failing or falling short. All of us are. But at the same time, the the, the flip side of the coin, at the same time, the Holy Spirit desires to grow in us faithfulness more and more so that we would look more and more like Christ. Amen? There is an amazing news. This is amazing news. We have the Spirit within us. Amen? Amen? Helping us, so this is very possible if we live by the spirit. Amen. Very possible. But to think that we can get there on our own, just white knuckling faithfulness, that is foolishness. Only the spirit can get us to grow in faithfulness. That's his work. That's his that's his mission. That's why he was sent. He's the great helper, the perfect helper. Now, this brings us to the to the first main point. Point. And don't worry, I'm going to go pretty quickly through the points. And the first main point is that you cannot be faithful when you are self-absorbed. You cannot be faithful when you're self-absorbed. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, again about the end age, the age that we kind of live in. He writes that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I believe that we have been born into an environment in which it is exceedingly difficult to, to remain faithful <laughs> at every, in every arena of life, at every level. At the same time, we're helping create this environment some more as well. It's a vicious cycle. If you ask me, we live in a world in which self-centeredness, this self-absorption is being promoted to its greatest extent in human history. We're constantly tempted and charmed by our society to gratify ourselves. Why wait? Why deny yourself? Why sacrifice? Why not just go along with everyone else? We constantly hear, indulge yourself because you deserve it. You've worked hard. It's fine. No one's looking. Everyone's doing it, actually. Not too long ago, a person's word was his bond. Not today. Not today. And near handshakes, Sealed major business agreements, not today. And that's because of selfishness. That's because of the self-absorption. Faithlessness is playing a major role in the destruction of our society, and we, and we can see it right in front of our eyes. It is way harder, almost impossible at times, to find a solid in a, in a stable marriage than one that is falling apart because we are so self-absorbed. Athletes seem to break their contracts almost at will because they're selfish. Workers take shortcuts in the quality of their work because of selfishness. Manufacturers lie about the quality of their products because they're selfish. I mean, have you seen a bag of chips when you open it? It's half empty. That annoys me so much. Faithlessness is rising to its peak if it's not there already. And do you know why? because of our self-centeredness, because we're selfish, which is the father of all irresponsibility, which is promoted left and right. But we have a really good reason to resist it, church. I'll say that again. But we have a really good reason to resist it, church, and not only to resist, but to live differently. We're called to live differently. And the only way to do so is in Christ. I'll say that again. The only way to do so, to live differently than our society, is to be in Christ and to have the Holy Spirit lead us and empower us to do so. Amen? And the key to living differently is called God-centeredness or Christ-focused. It's where I'm not the center of my life anymore, but Jesus is the focus. Well, it's not what I want. It's not what I desire, what I crave, but what Jesus wants. It's not, it doesn't really matter what I feel or think about a certain topic, but it's what God says about that certain topic in his word. But to become a Christ-centered church, because even many Christians remain at the baby stage. We have lots of those in churches, right? And, and they're still very much self-absorbed. Not maturing, not mature at all. So to become Christ-centered, is, which is the key to the faithfulness and the antidote against selfishness, to become Christ-centered is not easy and it doesn't come cheap. And few are willing to pay the price, which is what? Your life. Your life. I want to be clear about this. I want the gospel to shine in every message here at Summit Church. So listen, church, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, nothing of you, nothing more, nothing less. But to become fully Christ-focused and fully Christ-centered, it'll cost you your life. Now, I definitely do not want to make it sound like salvation and Christ-centeredness are at odds with each other. They're not. They shouldn't be. But the reality is that, again, many Christians remain at the baby stage and are very much still self-absorbed, and they do not want to grow and mature by fully yielding to the working of the Spirit in their life. Now, listen to what Apostle Paul says about kind of losing your life, that, that our life is not our own, right? That it will cost you the price of your life if you want to be self-focused, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. This is what Apostle Paul says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And check this out, church. You are not your own. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. How amazing is that? You're not your own. You're not your own. And that's why the only way to do it, the only way to be, to be Christ-focused It is to fully open ourselves up to the working of the Spirit in our lives, to fully surrender to Jesus because our life is not our own, and to allow the Spirit to do what only He can do in us. Amen? A great place to start being God focused is to start looking at the faithfulness of God. It's mind blowing the complexities and the levels of depth of his his faithfulness in our lives. So our our next point is an overview of God's faithfulness. Let's just walk through this a little bit, an overview of God's faithfulness. First, we want to look at the Bible. That's the standard here. That's the ultimate standard, right? I believe that the faithfulness of God is a familiar phrase to most Christians out there, but it's complexities and gravity and depth and implications in our life are probably not as familiar. So remember that we can trace all the fruit of the Spirit back to God because all the fruit of the Spirit are rooted in His character. How beautiful is that! I've heard it said this way this week, and I really loved it. And I wanted to share, I want to share it with you: God is the root, and through the Spirit we bear the fruit. God is the root. And through the Spirit, we bear the fruit. Now, we've seen this with each one of the fruit of the Spirit so far. And it is the same with this one, with faithfulness. God is faithful, period. He is the definition of faithfulness. And at the same time, he's the source of all faithfulness. The first thing that comes to mind as we speak of God's faithfulness is the fact that God is faithful in all of his ways. God is faithful in all of his ways. How encouraging is that? i i I believe that the bible is very clear with that let me just give you one example psalm 100 verse 5 says for the for the lord is good and his love endures forever check this out his faithfulness continues through all generations our god is a faithful god how does that make you feel this morning doesn't that give you security and peace to know that god is faithful he is absolutely and infinitely trustworthy and dependable He's faithful to his creation, faithful to his people, faithful to his church. He was, he was faithful in sending Jesus. He's faithful to judge sin. He's faithful to save sinners who put their trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Church, how amazing, how glorious, how wonderful. What a relief, what a security, what a peace to know that God is faithful and that you can always depend on him. Amen. We never have to worry that his promises will come true because God's word is trustworthy and true. Amen. It's like, I just want to take a break now and just, let's just pray. Let's just thank God again for his faithfulness. That's what's, is there anything else to say or to do? But God's word is trustworthy and true. Not only is God faithful in all of his ways, but his word is faithful. We read this in Numbers. We can give so many examples, by the way, but let's just give one. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man. Oh, thank God for that. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is faithful in all of his ways, and therefore God is faithful in all his words. The two go together, church, don't they? We even have a saying, you're only as good as your word, right? When a person is faithful, you can trust their words as well. God has given us his word in the Bible, and his word as revealed in the scriptures, and is absolutely trustworthy and true. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You've probably heard this saying, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Anyone? Well, it's true. But you can actually leave the middle part out, and it's still true. It doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. If God said it, it settles it. God's word is trustworthy and true. Amen? There's another Or there's this arena of life that we must see God's faithfulness displayed in a a marvelous way and be blown away by it and encouraged. And that is our sanctification. So our next point is God's faithfulness in our sanctification. I'll explain that term if that's the first time that you've, you've heard it. But I want you to hear this beautiful and theologically sound prayer of Apostle Paul on behalf of the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And this would be so encouraging to us, church. Listen to this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then hear this. He who calls you is what? Faithful. He will surely do it. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. Paul requests from God in a prayer for this body of believers in Thessalonica, their complete sanctification and preservation as holy and blameless and righteous until they die or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. Now, sanctification, let me just explain just a little bit. Is a big theological word, and it's, it's the part of, of, of our salvation that deals with our progressive growth into the image of Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it, or a simple way of saying it, is it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I've said that already a few times. And one way that he does it is by growing us in the fruit of the Spirit, in faithfulness. That's how he, he transforms us more and more like Christ. So God is faithful, is what I'm saying Actually, this is what the Bible is saying, not Ovi. I'm just repeating that message. God is faithful in carrying this part out in spite of how you feel sometimes. Do you, you look at your life sometimes like, Tuh, I'm not really growing here. God, I, I'm, I don't know. I, this is, it's been years. But God is faithful. God sees the big picture. I don't. One of the amazing things about our God is the fact that he is not like us. Already kind of read a little bit of scripture about that. But we sometimes begin a project, and I'm speaking from recent experience. We lose interest, run into difficulties, or just become impatient and then quit. Nah, I don't want to do this again. God does not begin a work and then get tired of it or get bored or distracted by something else going to something else. He does not do that. God does not begin and then find out that he's out of resources. Oh, no, I don't have nails. Oh, no, and then give up. No, he doesn't do that. We do this, but God never stops until he's finished, and he's not finished until he's fully satisfied. That's God. He's perfect in all of his ways, and he's faithful in all of his ways. Church, all we need, our part, our responsibility, all we need to do is continue to yield and surrender and open ourselves up to the working of the Spirit in our life. And if we do that, church, the cleansing, the molding, the perfecting of the saints, and by the way, that's you and me, so if we continue to surrender to him, the work that he has begun will be completed at the day of Jesus Christ, amen? But we can't really talk about God's faithfulness in our sanctification without talking about God's faithfulness in our suffering. There's a big overlap in there. So our next point is God's faithfulness in my suffering and in your suffering. The Bible is full of examples in people's lives where God's faithfulness was on full display as they were going through trials and suffering and pain. Thank you, Jesus, for including all those examples they're so encouraging for us. God allows suffering in our life. And due to the intensity of the pain, sometimes, so many times we just can't seem to find God in it, right? Sometimes you're crying so intensely, you can't see through your tears. I, I, God, I, where are you? Right? Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever been? Maybe you're going through there now. We can give many examples here, but, but there's one that I have down on my notes, and, and I'll use this one in Psalm 77, verse 4 and 8. This is what uh, the men of God called Asaph, if you've heard of him. This is what he says. You hold my eyelids open. This is a prayer to God. He says, I am so troubled that I ca- cannot even speak. And then he goes, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Have you said stuff like that? And a lot worse. In suffering, because he can't seem to, you know, couldn't find God anywhere, and maybe you felt like that, maybe you're feeling like that. You're going through a tough season now, but let me just remind you that God, however, did not lose track of Asaph, and 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 did not, and he's not gonna, and he's not gonna, he's not gonna lose track of you either. His plan is perfect, and his faithfulness remains intact. So let me encourage us with his faithfulness again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this amazing promise. God has not destined us for wrath. I'll say that again. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And by the way, just a disclaimer. When this context right here talks about salvation, it's not only referring to being brought from death to life. No, it talks about our whole life because we're saved through our through his justification, through sanctification, and then glorification when he comes back to take us home. So actually, in fact, this word salvation here refers to our whole life, pretty much. That, that we're not destined to wrath in this whole life and in the life to come. What an amazing promise. So when you go through suffering and when you get a glimpse of this promise and of this truth and you realize that God has not destined you for wrath but salvation and when you realize that you are his now and that everything that happens in your life God will actually use it for your good when you understand that God is infinitely faithful to keep his promise and also he's good and sovereign it's settled peace like a river because the point of this life church is not living for ourselves We just talked about that, right? To be God-focused, not self-absorbed, right? So the point of this life is now living for ourselves but for the glory of God. And by the way, our ultimate goal is what? Is heaven. This is not home. That's home. We're going home, right? Eternity with Christ. So be encouraged, Christian. God will deliver us to be with him for an eternity because that's the goal. He will deliver us for that goal through death, or from death, through suffering, right, or, 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 or from suffering sometimes. He does that. He does that. But God is faithful to get us to our finish line, and he will supply our needs, and he will shape our suffering here and now, suffering that is so needed to prepare us for his physical kingdom that is coming. He knows exactly at what intensity to fire up the furnace So that we wouldn't break and at the same time that it would carry out his plan of molding and perfecting in our life. He is faithful. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? God is not only faithful in our sanctification. He's not only faithful in our suffering. But he's faithful in the gospel. Last major point and then we're going to make some quick application points. God's faithfulness in the gospel. Do you know what Apostle Paul calls the act of being called to be in Christ? Meaning to be brought from death to life, forgiven, and in a relationship with Christ. He says that this act of God's, it's it's, it's God's faithfulness. That's what it is. That's what he calls it. And check this out. 1 Corinthians 1.9. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How amazing is that? Church, our calling would go nowhere beyond a meaningless invitation if God was not faithful to forgive our sins. <sighs> you believe that? It's in, it's, in, it's in the word. Because Apostle John in 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he's what? He's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us from our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without forgiveness and cleansing, there's no access to him and therefore no relationship with him that would blossom and grow and culminate in a joy-filled eternity with him, right? So a few verses later, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Apostle John unpacks even more this amazing gospel promise that is completely soaked in God's faithfulness. Check this out. Hear this out. And I know that we're kind of the last few minutes and we can be so distracted let's just zero in on god's word okay we're all here praise god he's faithful awesome but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous he's the propitiation and i'll explain that word he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world amen I want us to look for a few minutes at these two verses and to see how soaked in God's faithfulness the gospel is. Now, verses two speaks of this big word, theological word, propitiation. What does it mean? Propitiation simply means the removing, right? The absorbing, the receiving of wrath. It actually goes hand in hand with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to deal with our sin, right? That's what, that's what it is. This is at the heart of, of Christianity pretty much it points to the fact that Jesus Christ absorbed all the wrath of God that was headed for me and for you because of your sin and because of my sin Jesus took our place Jesus died our death to pay for the penalty of our sin in Jesus the debt has been paid amen now take away the cleansing blood and the fact that Jesus substituted us on the cross and what do you have what are you left with well a bunch of sinners a bunch of depraved people, right? That would be you and me and every person on planet Earth. That's their status. Now, I know that you've, you've wrestled with this question at, you know, at some point in life. And, and, and I'll just ask it. How can a loving yet a just, righteous, and holy God then forgive sinners? How is he faithful then to his character and to his attributes? Because this poses a big problem. I mean, I have sin that needs to be forgiven, right? And I need God's mercy. But at the same time, I do not want a God that winks at injustice, right? I don't want that. The absolutely mind-blowing thing is that God in his infinite holiness does forgive. Amen? But it costs the breaking of his heart with grief in the death of, of Jesus Christ, his son, to enable him to do so. Does that make sense? right? The great miracle of God's grace is that he forgives sin, and it's the death of Jesus Christ alone that enables God to forgive and to remain faithful and true to himself while forgiving sin. The love of God is spelled out at the cross like nowhere else. The only basis for which God can forgive me is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the place where his conscience is satisfied, right? Right? as the ultimate judge of the universe that's the place where he simultaneously becomes both the just and the justifier proving that he does not sweep your sin under the rug he kills it he pours a wrath on it and it's called jesus christ crucified he is faithful and he will remain faithful to his attributes additionally Verse 1 speaks of Jesus Christ, not, not only as our sacrifice, but also as being our advocate, right? We, we heard that word. Do you know what it means to have an advocate before God? When we're so sinful and depraved, it means Jesus stands before the Father, before God, the judge, as our defense attorney, and speaks on our behalf, the accused. That's a big thing. Now, here's how Jesus is different than all the other lawyers out there, right? He's a divine advocate, and he's very different than all the other advocates on earth. Defense attorneys frequently deny the allegations brought against their clients, but Christ admits the charges against us. Now, yeah, he's a sinner. Yeah, yeah, he should die. So at this point, you're like, okay, uh, what kind of defense attorney is this? How is this helping me? <laughs> you know, I, excuse me? I used to think, I used to picture Jesus as advocating work like this. He's up in heaven and he's pleading and begging. God, God please forgive Ovi. Come on. You love, p- Lord, please, Father, please come on. I'm Jesus. Would you please forgive him? Give him another hall pass. He blew it again. What's new? I, I know. You know, he's trying hard on Tuesdays and Fridays to follow you, but the rest of days miss or hit. Sorry. But let's just give him one more day. Please, Father, please. I used to think like will Jesus ever get tired of making excuses for me? Will Jesus ever get tired of defending me until I realize that he's not making excuses for me? He's not even defending me. What kind of a lawyer is this? Jesus is walking to the judge's table and saying, on the basis of my atoning work, let him go free, Father. he's walking to the table and saying faithful judge of the universe i've got some pictures here that i like to enter into evidence this picture of these these thorns that that got made into a crown and placed on my head these pictures here of a of of a lashing of my back pictures here of being mocked and spitting on in this monkey trial pictures here of some nails hands and feet a bloody cross see what he's doing He's appealing not to the mercy of God. Please, Father, please, Father. He's not appealing to the mercy of God for your forgiveness. He's appealing to the justice of God for your forgiveness. He's appealing to his faithfulness that he's still a just judge, right? We just read earlier the verse in, you know, in, in um, chapter 1, right? Verse 9, that he's faithful and what? Patient? He's faithful and nice? No, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Why? Because when Jesus says, "Father, you're righteous, you're holy, you're you're you do nothing that is wrong and they and they place their faith in me, I absorb your wrath on their behalf. Therefore, you cannot punish them." And I know you are faithful. And I know you are true to your character and your word because a righteous judge cannot issue two punishments for one offense. No. So God, forgive them, please. Be faithful and just to them because their wage has been paid in me. That's how Jesus advocates for you and me. And God's faithfulness is on full display. Full display. Can you feel how solid your defense is? Can you feel the rock-solid, impenetrable, airtight nature of that defense for you? And, and, And so... You can know that in Christ, God the Father will always and only be for you, never against you, but in Christ. In Christ Summit Church, you can can know that whatever you face in your marriage, with your kids, at your job, whatever you face, it's not the judgment of God against you. It's not hatred from God against you. It's his faithfulness and loving hand of discipline as a father upon a son that should give you great confidence church to wake up tomorrow and to go into the day facing whatever may come we have a faithful father amen can we trust a god if we never we were never sure what he would do i don't want to serve a god like that but we know with certainty that our god is faithful we never have to wonder if we're going to be loved tomorrow because he's faithful, reliable, and trustworthy. And because he's faithful, I want to be more like my father. In closing, I will just just two minutes, three minutes, I want to end with some application points and at least give you a bit of a start, a head start in, in answering the question, how do we grow in faithfulness? How, 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 do, we, how do we do this? First thing, commune with God regularly. Just pay attention to the screen. They're going to be there and kind of go through them with me. Commune with God regularly. You want to grow in faithfulness? Commune with God regularly. The fruit of the Spirit, church, is the produce grown through our spending time with God in worship, in prayer, and in the Word. And as we behold his beautiful image in the Word and fellowship with him in prayer And we we gain more and more of his beauty and of his revelation of who he is. And then we begin to reflect it in our lives. No wonder Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate him because I spend time with him daily. So commune with God regularly. Number two, remember God's faithfulness towards you daily. Would you do that this week, church? Would you ask yourself on and on every single day, how is God faithful to me? And just rehearse, revisit, recount all the ways that he's faithful to you. We talked about in our sanctification, in our suffering, in the gospel, in so many other ways that he's faithful to us. Would you ask yourself that question? How is God faithful to me today? So remember God's faithfulness towards you daily, and then be a good steward of God's gifts to you. You want to grow in faithfulness? Be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. That's how you grow. The Bible says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Church, everything you have comes from God. Not a penny in your pocket is yours. Everything is God's. We don't really own anything in life. Did you know that? We are only stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. Be a good steward of God's gift to you. Can I remind you of some amazing gifts that we've been entrusted with? Be a good faithful. Be be a a faithful husband to your wife. There's an amazing gift. You've been given a wife, a husband, a family, kids. Be a good steward. Be faithful to them. Be a good steward in serving at church. Be faithful with that. Be faithful. The next one that I want to mention here, two more. Keep your word even when it hurts. Does that hit home? I cannot recall how many times I've promised something and I never delivered because it got hard. i like, I don't know. It's kind of, uh, no, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. You want to grow in faithfulness? Keep your word even when it hurts. Bible says in Psalm fifteen four, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Did you make a promise that is no longer easy or convenient for you to keep? God says, keep it. Let, it hurt. let, it, let some pain go on. It's that's, that's fine. Totally fine. It will grow you in faithfulness. Keep your word. And then the last one, because we can't grow in faithfulness unless we, 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 we do this on a regular basis, and that is ask God to develop and to grow the fruit of faithfulness in your life. I remember last week and Flo was... Uh, preaching on, on self, on um, gentleness. Thank you. And he's like, how many of us have actually, you actually remember at least once asking God, God, would you please make me more gentle? <laughs> People are like, I, I, what? Is that, even, is that even in the Bible? <laughs> right? Kind of same thing with faithfulness. Right? Let's ask God now that we know, maybe you haven't, but now we know, <clears throat> excuse me, that faithful is what honors God. And that's the life that God has designed for us to be faithful to him and to everything that he's entrusted us to. So let's ask God to develop the fruit of faithfulness in our life. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.